0: I'm excited to jump into God's word. We've been in a series over the last couple weeks called Balance. And what we've done during these messages, we've actually taken some specific topics from Scripture and we've looked at them because oftentimes these are topics that we get out of balance in our Christian lives. So in week one, we brought up a controversial, sometimes, topic of prosperity. Is that word even scriptural? Does God want us to be prosperous? What does that even mean? We talked about that in week one. Last week, Pastor Gary brought a fantastic message about the gifts of the Spirit and how we balance that in our life. What do we believe about it? Do we go to the extreme with it? Do we neglect it altogether? No, we talked about how we bring balance to our lives from Scripture. And today, we're gonna conclude this series And we're going to talk about a topic that it's not necessarily controversial, but it is a topic that we sometimes get out of balance because we will all have different perspectives on it. And that's the topic of the church. What should our view of the church be in our Christian lives? Let me give you some examples of this because I see that in the world in which we live, especially today, people have a lot of different views of what the church is supposed to be and what our relationship with the church is as Christians. For example... Many believers, for, for many believers, there's a great emphasis placed on church participation on a weekly basis to the point that they see church attendance as a primary way of pleasing God and often hoping that the church will be their primary source of joy and fulfillment. Can I just tell you this morning that the, the church was created by God to add joy to your life, but God never intended for, ch- for the church to be the primary source of joy. God is the one who brings joy into our lives, and he will use people, and he will use the church to add joy, but he wants us to know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control, and in his presence is fullness of joy. So God wants to be our source of joy, not depending upon the church or other people to be our primary source. God wants to use that to add additional joy to our lives. But on the other hand, many Christians will disregard church participation altogether, seeing their faith as a one-on-one relationship with God and placing no responsibility upon themselves in relation to the church. Not only that, but sometimes Christians can have unrealistic expectations of the church, expecting it to provide things for them that only God can provide, whether that be people or leaders. Sometimes we can put unrealistic expectations on the church. But likewise, sometimes the church can place unreasonable expectations on people, requiring more of them than what is reasonable before God. When the Apostle Paul talked about giving his life and service back to the Lord, he said, this is my reasonable service. Can I tell you this morning, God's pretty reasonable. And if God is reasonable, then the church should be reasonable with people As well, So there's a lot of different perspectives on how we see church, experiences that many of us have had in the past. And sometimes the pendulum will swing one way or the other to the extreme, bringing about an unbalanced view for some of us on what the church truly is. So what is the correct view for Christians to have about the church? Perhaps the reason many Christians get this wrong is because we do not have a correct understanding of what the church really is. So right here, I want to establish something right up front. Before we go any further, we need to establish a core principle. As Christians, church is not a place that we go. The church is who we are. Let me say that one more time so everybody else can catch on. As Christians, the church is not a place we go. It is who we are. It's our very identity. See, the church is not a building The church is people. The church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is not a pastor, thank God. It's a people. The church is not a brand. It's a people. The church is not a denomination. It's a people. And as Eugene Peterson wrote in the Message Bible, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And when we understand that we are the church of Jesus Christ, we realize that we, you, And me are God's plan A for reaching our world, and he has no plan B. So if God has a high view of his church, perhaps we as Christians should see the church the same way that he does. Everybody with me this morning? We need to have a correct view of what the church is, what it's supposed to be in our lives, what it should require of us, and where we fit into God's plan and get a good balance from Scripture on what the church truly is. Now, I want to establish three truths from Scripture about what the church is here at the outset of our message. And by establishing these truths, we can answer a few questions that are asked a lot in the day and age in which we live. They've probably, most of these questions, been asked throughout history, but today there's a unique set of questions often being asked. So if you're taking notes this morning, three core truths we want to establish very briefly, all right? Number one. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are people who walk in light. We are people who walk in light. Now, if you look throughout scripture, there's a lot of different metaphors and different things that the church is kind of described as or akin to, and we could spend time on a lot of those, but this one is often overlooked because the scriptures have a lot to say about us walking in light and being children of light, the Bible says. And I'll explain this to you, but let me give you some context. The first time that we see the word church show up in the New Testament is when Jesus is talking to his disciples and it's in Matthew chapter 16. And the context of this is that Jesus has sent his disciples out in the ministering in his name and they come back and it's like Jesus wants a report of their ministry. And so Jesus says, "Listen, you've been all these places, you've been doing all these things. Who do people say that I am?" And the disciples have different answers, but this is what they say in scripture. They come back and they say, "Well, some say you're Moses, Some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus says, okay, that's what people are saying. But then he asks the disciples the all-important question that we all have to wrestle with. He says, that's what they said, but who do you say that I am? And of course, we see that Peter responds very quickly. And he says, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And look what it says in Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus speaking. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that's Peter's given name, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, this conviction didn't come because someone put that in your ear. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then he says in verse 18, and I also say to you, no longer are you Simon, but now you are Peter or Petros, which means rock. And on this rock, on you, I will build my church. Everybody say church. This right here is the first place that the word church shows up in the New Testament. And if you know this teaching and this passage very well, then you know that the Greek word in the original writings is the word ekklesia. It's a compound word, uh, meaning to be called out. So it's like a preposition and a verb, to be called out. Or we could say of the church that we are the called out ones. But when you see that, it's easy to look at that simple definition and it feel a little bit Vague. Because every time I go back and I look at the original writings and it says that the church is the ecclesia or those who are called out, it makes me ask two specific questions. Number one, if I'm being called out, what am I being called out of and what am I being called into? Interesting questions if you really go deeper in the scripture. Now remember, Jesus says that to the disciples, but most specifically to Peter, upon you, you're a rock, I will build my church. So what am I being called out of? And what are we being called into? Peter answers the question best later on in scripture. Look at 1 Peter 2 in verse 9. He says of us as the church, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises, watch this, of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. What a beautiful picture that is. I don't know what your story is and what your testimony is, but I will raise my hand and testify that I once was lost, but now I've been found. I used to walk in darkness. Now I walk in the light of God, his truth, his word, and his plan for my life. As believers, as Christians, we once walked in darkness, but we've been called out of darkness and into light. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 5 and verse 8. He said, for you once were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So what do we do? Walk as children of light. So let me reaffirm this one more time. The first truth we want to establish. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are people, we are children who walk in light. We're called out of darkness. We now walk in light. So that's the first thing. But here's the second core truth I want to establish here at the outset of the message. Number two. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are the bride of Christ. Everybody say bride. We are the bride of Christ. And it indicates this marriage relationship between the church, the bride, and Christ, the bridegroom. Watch this. We'll stay in Ephesians 5. Move forward to verse 22. It says, wives, and everybody hold on a minute here. We're not going to get into marital things today, so deep breath. But it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. It goes on and it says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own hus- be to their own husbands in everything. But husbands, you're not off the hook. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And all the wives said, Amen. Amen. And this is a picture of a marital relationship. But what are we talking about? We are talking about how we, the church, are the bride of Christ. That's just one place that we see in Ephesians 5. But not only that, in all four Gospels, we see parables or Jesus referring to himself as the bridegroom. And again, it's another picture of this marriage relationship between Christ and And the church. So, first of all, we said we are children of light. We are people who walk in light. Secondly, we're the bride of Christ. But number three, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are the body of Christ. And this is one that most of us are probably a little bit more familiar with. We are the body of Christ. Another one of Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 20. But now, indeed, there are many members. Look around, there are many different members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If you skip down to verse 27, this is what it says. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Look at the picture, individual members. Like I'm an individual with an individual function and God created me individually, yet I'm a member of you and you are a member of me. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. Of Christ. So we walk in the light, we're the bride of Christ, and we're the body of Christ. And after having established these three truths, we're going to spend the rest of the time we have today answering some questions that are very prominent about the church and our role within it in this day and age in which we live. So if you're taking notes, here's the first question I want to ask this morning, and this is about to get fun. First, For me, maybe not for you, but for me, this is going to be fun. First question is this, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Some people are going to start answering out loud, and you're going to get yourself in trouble. Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I'll never forget several years ago, there was a very, very famous celebrity entertainer that gave an interview in Rolling Stone magazine, and this gentleman was asked the question, hey, so we know that you're very um, you know, out, out there about your faith, you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, are you a part of a church, or are you a part of a local church? And he made this statement. He said, yes, I'm a Christian I'm proud to be a Christian, but no, I don't really go to church because you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now let's just set that on the shelf for a moment. When I really got my life together and started pursuing ministry, my wife and I were a part of a church in Orange County. And our pastor used to say this all the time about the relationship of going to church and being a Christian. He said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in the garage makes you a car. And I love that thought because it's so true. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in the garage makes you a car. Now, I go back to the original question. Do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Well, watch this. Technically speaking, it's true that I don't have to go, notice the words go to church because it's a place I go, right? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. The only problem is when I define church as a place that I go, then the premise of the question suddenly becomes flawed. Why? Because if I merely see the church as a place I go, then I've misunderstood the bigger picture of what it is that I'm a part of. And as Christians, we have to understand that we are the church. I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself. And... As we talk about this, maybe you start thinking about reasons why you've been disconnected from church in the past or people that you know are disconnected. We could probably come up with a lot of different reasons. But I want to talk specifically about a couple of things or one one thing right now that is very, very prominent in the day and age in which we live, okay? Let's take a moment and address the question from a perspective of these truths that we've already established. First of all, from 1 Peter 2 and Ephesians 5, we see that we are people who walk in light. Now think about this. I don't know how many of you like to go camping, but most of us are accustomed to living life in societies that are well-lit. And I was thinking about when I was a kid and I would go to kids' camp, like we got our kids' day camp coming up. I went away to kids' camp when I was in elementary school, and maybe some of you have been to the camp I went to. I went to Angelus Crest Christian Camp. And I remember growing up, we would have a service at night, and then when the service was over, we would all go back to our cabins, change clothes, get our things, whatever, and we would come back for the late night activities. And when we would leave the amphitheater to go back to our cabins, it was down this hill, and it was really, really dark. It was not well lit. There were hardly any lights around at all. And I remember one of the things that was on the checklist that we were supposed to bring with us to camp was our own individual flashlight. The only problem was my mom and dad didn't send me to camp with a mag light. They gave me one of those like $4 plastic lights where the button's really hard to push and it took the really huge batteries and by the time you mustered up the strength to actually get the button to go all the way forward, it put out a very dim amount of light. And I remember a couple of occasions specifically leaving the amphitheater, going back to the cabin and I was like by myself and I would look around thinking, I'm a little bit afraid of the dark. And it was always totally comforting when some of my friends would come around me, and none of them had mag lights either, they had the cheap little plastic flashlights like I had. But when they brought their flashlight and they combined it with my flashlight, suddenly we had something. And none of us were afraid to walk in the darkness because my light was combined with their light and our light was a little bit brighter and we weren't worried about getting to our destination. And some of you know where I'm going now. See, many of us tend to think that we can navigate the darkness of this world around us with just our little individual lights. We're like, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I hide it under a bushel. No, but I'm going to let this little light shine. And we tend to think that I have my little light, and I'm going to try to navigate life on my own, hoping it's just enough. Can I tell you something this morning, church? God did not intend for you to live life just shining your one little light. He wanted to combine your little light with the light of those around you who believe in Christ and are following him also. If all we have is just our one light, it's much easier for the darkness to extinguish our light. But if we will surround ourselves and walk alongside other people of light, we discover that the brightness of our collective light overpowers the darkness of the world around us, causing us to walk in clarity and enabling us to reach our God-appointed destination and calling. I think if we went around the room, most of us would say, I believe God has a plan, a calling, something specific for my life. And I would ask you the question, are you navigating darkness on your own with just your light? Or are you surrounding yourself with people who can bring their light around you and illuminate the path that God has called you to? Because if you want to reach your destination that he's calling you to successfully, it's a whole lot better to have a lot more light around you. And when we ask that question, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? The picture that I have is a lot of people who are out there with their one tiny flashlight trying to navigate the darkness on their own, saying, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. But what I found about my cheap little flashlight is pretty soon the battery went dim. The battery went out and so did my light. And often we'll go through seasons of difficulty where the batteries get a little bit low. You know what we need? We need some people with freshly charged batteries surrounding us to help us get to where God's calling us to go. And I know this conversation can easily make its way into making, you know, just about church attendance, but I want to tell you something this morning. God did not intend for you to live life alone. Don't get disconnected. God wants you to shine your light with those around you so that we can illuminate the path he's calling us to. Not only that, but when those around us see the light in which we are walking, watch this, our collective light makes room for others to get on the path that God has for their lives as well. Amazing things happen when your friends, your neighbors, your families, your coworkers, your loved ones look at your life and say, there's just something different. It's like you're walking in a light. It's like you found the path. What do we do? We shine a light and say, I know it's dark over there. Why don't you come walk on this path with us? God's got good plans for your life. So we have to understand that God doesn't want us to walk in darkness. So when it comes to doing life together, let's not disregard what the church really is, okay? Let's go to the second question. We could spend a lot more time there, but the second question is simply this. Okay, so I like the idea of being connected in the church, but I'm not sure that I'm ready to trust people. How do I know that I'm not going to get hurt? And some people, you've had an experience like that in church life where you've experienced real challenges, real hurts. Let's talk about this for a moment because this question brings us to a topic that has become very popular in the church world today and it's an overly used hashtag on social media and the internet and it's the topic of church hurt. Maybe you've heard about this, maybe you've engaged in blogs or watched videos on YouTube about church hurt or listening to you know, podcasts that are built solely around that topic. Let's just talk about this for a little bit, okay? The hashtag church hurt has become a popular and heavily used slogan for people who have been hurt in some way or another in the church or by the church. And it usually comes in the form of disappointments, offenses, slander, or failures by leaders or fellow church members. Listen, to deny that church wounds don't exist would be foolish and dishonest. Can we just be honest for a minute? Let's just take off our perfect caps. Sometimes stuff happens, even in church. Doesn't mean it's okay. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes you get stepped on. Sometimes somebody rubs you the wrong way. Sometimes there's a wound. Sometimes there's an offense. The question isn't whether or not those things are gonna happen. Jesus said offenses are gonna come. Pastor Gary talked about this a few weeks ago. The question is not whether or not offenses are gonna come. The question is what am I gonna do with them when they come to me? Sadly, sometimes people can get hurt by other people in the church, and when it happens, like I said, it's not okay. But, follow me, but the reason, excuse me, but often the reason these wounds tend to cut so deep is because we place uh, an expectation of perfection on other Christians. And it's important to remember that while we are all attempting to follow a perfect God, the church is comprised of very imperfect people. Pastor Gary and I were having a conversation between services. I always ask him, do you think you want me to change? And he said, no, it's okay. He goes, but remember this. He said, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to go to church because the church is always full of hypocrites. Well, that's like saying I don't want to go to the gym because there's people who are out of shape there. (laughs) And if you find the perfect church congratulations. The only problem there is that it ceases to be perfect the moment you walked in the door. So you guys are with me this morning. I love it. For many people, church hurt starts with a small, treatable wound. Sometimes there's bigger issues. I understand that. Not denying that. For many people, church hurt starts with a small treatable wound, and if we allow the wound to be treated, we can move forward in health. But sadly, when many Christians are wounded in the church, we take offense, we run away from healing, and we put up walls around us that prevent restoration from flowing into our lives. And when we do this, we become isolated and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Don't allow offenses to isolate you, even if it happens inside the church. All right, let's stay here for a minute. It's going to get even better. Let's talk about the dangers of wounds and infections for a moment, okay? Church hurt often leads to individual members of the body of Christ being disconnected or cut off from the body. Church hurt usually starts as a wound, but left untreated quickly becomes an infection. And over the years, I have seen people who have experienced some sort of wounds in church life allow those wounds to go untreated, and once they become infected, the infection usually manifests in the form of criticism and cynicism of the body of Christ, the very thing that we are supposed to be a part of. When I become critical and cynical within the body of Christ, what I'm really saying is, and I want everybody in the room, if you don't hear anything else on this topic, hear this. When I become critical and cynical within the body of Christ, what I'm really saying is that I give myself permission to be a work in progress while expecting perfection from everyone else around me. Grace for me, but truth for you. When we experience hurts or wounds in church life, we will often pull away and disconnect. But look again at what the scripture says about the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Many members, but we're one body. And the eye cannot say to the hands, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, when I disconnect from the body of Christ because of a hurt or an offense, I'm saying to the other members, I have no need of you. And when we disconnect from the body of Christ, two things usually happen. Number one, we lose our individual purpose and function, and we are no longer hearing from Christ. Why? Because when you disconnect from the body, you're disconnected from the head. <laughs> it's the reason why God fit us together, scripture says. We don't want to be disconnected from the body because then we get disconnected from the head, and it's difficult to hear from God. Christ is the head of the church, giving direction to his connected body. And I can't properly hear from Christ if I'm disconnected from the body. Now, think about this for a minute. And I, I, I want to be really gentle on how I say this. I don't want to offend anybody. We know that there are people who have lost limbs, whether it be in battle or through an accident. Sometimes things happen at birth where people have you know, issues in their body where perhaps something is missing from their body. So I don't want to be offensive in that way whatsoever. But can you imagine walking down the street and seeing not a body with a missing part, but a part like a foot just over here by itself attempting to walk down the street? Or an eye that's just kind of rolling down the sidewalk. And you look at these parts and you say, I know what the function is. The only problem is it's not serving any purpose. Why? Because it's not connected to the body. And I look back at 1 Corinthians 12, and when it talks about the body of Christ and one part, looking at another part and saying, I have no need of you. My whole life, I read through that passage of scripture, and I only thought of it through the lens of comparison. Well, I'm me, and you're you, and I'm not so sure I'm comfortable with you. Maybe I'm better than you. Maybe you're better than me. We might compare one another, and we get a little bit envious or jealous or even insecure, and we tend to push away and say, I have no need of you. But I stop and think about some of the offenses or hurts that sometimes come with just people being people in church life. And it occurs to me that a lot of people push away and they don't like the offense they've experienced. So they say, I have no need of you. What we're saying in that moment is that I have no need to be connected to the body of Christ. And that goes totally against everything scripture teaches. God wants us to be connected. And sometimes that means, here's a big word. This word might hurt some of us. Sometimes being connected effectively and healthy in the body of Christ means that we have to be vulnerable. I gotta open up. I gotta tell you what's going on. I gotta let somebody in. Last time I did that, it hurt. I found over and over again in all the years that. It hasn't been that many, but almost 10 years this fall that I've been in full-time pastoral ministry that so often when somebody gets hurt by somebody in church, they cut people out and God wants to use people to bring healing to that wound, but you've already built up walls and nobody can come in and help you find health. When we do that, we cut off one of the very sources God wants to use to bring health, healing, and wholeness into our lives. Don't be a disconnected part. Find your function. Be connected. Continue to hear from God, And let me say one more thing about this. One final thought on that question about hurt and experiencing offenses. You know, Ephesians paints the picture that we, the church, are also the bride of Christ. So you and I are the bride of Christ. Listen, I love making new friends, getting closer with people, and I don't think there's anything cooler than someone walks away and says, man, I really like that person. I really liked that interaction. I really enjoyed that conversation. And if you say that you like me, that makes me feel good but if I found out that you got negative things to say about my wife, we got problems. I'm not a big, tough, intimidating guy, but I love her and I'm willing to lay my life down for her. Can I tell you something? wonder how Jesus feels when we walk around being critical of his church. When we walk through seasons of hurt, don't allow that wound to become infected, creating cynicism and criticism. Let God use people to bring healing. Open up and let healthy people come in and bring health to your life because God didn't want you to do life alone. Amen? All right, this brings us to the final question this morning, the third and final question. Okay, I understand that I need to be connected to the body of Christ. This is going to be real fun. But can I only do that by being in church on Sundays Is it the same thing to be a part of the online church? Can I be connected to the body of Christ virtually? Now, some of you are laughing as soon as I say that. But it occurred to me between services that there are things we do online that we've only been able to do for like 20 years. And the church is a whole lot older than that. Now, that's created a whole lot of really cool conveniences for us because now you don't have to go to the bank or write a check and drop it off at whatever utility place to pay your bills. You can go online and do that, and that's really cool. But then there are other things that we are actually supposed to do in person that if we attempt to do them online, what do we use the what's the word that we use for that? We call it virtual this or virtual that. Can I just ask you a question this morning? Is it possible to be a virtual Christian? Because... The word synonymously is like an almost Christian. Now again, being a Christian isn't defined by my church attendance. Why? Because church is not a place that I go. Have we established that? It's who we are. But if I know that it's who I am, then I also have to understand that it requires me to be connected to other Christians, for us to shine our lights together, for us to collectively be the body of Christ, for us to be collectively the bride of Christ. So if I'm over here trying to do it on my own and all I'm doing is consuming church, Rather than connected, connectively being the church, perhaps I've missed the mark. Now, if you're watching online, we are so glad that you're watching online with us today. And hang tight with us, because this isn't a word of condemnation, and I'll show you why. Writer of Hebrews, and this passage of Scripture was quoted most walking through and coming out of the COVID season. But look at this. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. If I speak a word of condemnation, I'm not doing that. Verse 25. Not forsaking, everybody say forsaking, the assembling, everybody say assembling, of ourselves together. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We could preach three different messages from this verse, but let me tell you this really quick. Not forsaking. The word forsake means to neglect or disregard. Don't neglect or disregard the assembling. For so many years, I read this passage of Scripture, and I didn't see the word assembling. I only thought of the word assembly with a Y. When we're all kids, we go to these school assemblies. Everybody come to the gym. Somebody's going to speak. It's, what are we doing? We're coming together. But that's not the word that's used here as an assembly with the y, It's assembling, I-N-G, meaning it's when the different parts come together connectively and we actually assemble to create something. See, when we get together, we are something that we are not when we're on our own. We're the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. We don't just gather for the sake of numbers. We gather to connect and attach our lives to one another. here's what's so cool about this. Notice that the writer of Hebrews doesn't say, don't forsake the teaching of the word. Notice he doesn't say, don't forsake worshiping in song and music. Why? Because he understands that when we gather together and we are assembled, we're going to do that stuff anyway. There's something special that happens when the body of Christ is assembled, When my part connects with your part, and together we become this structure that is amazing. God does something in our assembling that he doesn't when I'm on my own. And I say that to everybody that might be watching at home right now, and I don't mean it at all to be mean-spirited. But one of the things that I've come to over time is understanding that I have to make a decision of what kind of an example I want to set for my kids. Again, not a word of condemnation, because if you're at home right now, it's your call. There might be legit reasons why you're at home today. Our tech director, Travis Turner, and I were having a conversation, and our church has been doing a Sunday morning live stream for well over 15 years now at the church. And when we originally started it, the whole idea behind it was we wanted to be able to bring church to those who were shut in. And it was a solution of convenience. But can I be honest with you this morning? What started as a solution of convenience has become a trap of complacency for a lot of us. Because I can sit and consume rather than go and contribute. And please, that's not meant to be a word of judgment or condemnation because you might have legit reasons why you're at home and you're like, Zach, I'm always, I know what's going on in church life and I want to be there as often as I can. You give, you you do so many things to be a part of the life of the church and we honor that. And there are people that have legit reasons, but I'll tell you something, when convenience becomes complacency, the church begins to miss the mark. And we have to be really careful about that. Now... Here's where I want to land this morning. We talked about the church being the bride of Christ. And I think sometimes if we don't have a clear understanding of what it means to be loyal to a spouse within that picture of the church marital relationship, it's easy for us to wonder and move away a little bit. I have a good friend, and I meet with him every every other Thursday we get together. And he was telling me a story of when he was getting some training to be a marriage counselor with him and his wife. And he said they were counseling a couple one day and this couple was giving them all these reasons why they were considering divorce. And they said reason after reason after reason and were considering divorce. And they said they listened and listened and he goes, I was amazed when my wife spoke up and said, okay, I've heard all your reasons. But scripture paints a picture of Christ and the church like a marriage. They said, you've given all the reasons why you are wanting to get a divorce, but now let me ask you a question. What is one good reason why Christ would ever divorce you? that hit me so hard. Because I realize sometimes I I, I forget, I I belittle, I devalue the price that Christ paid for this covenant relationship I have. When I get lazy, if I get complacent, I can move away. But Jesus wouldn't do anything to move away from me. We have to be very, very careful that we don't allow ourselves to drift. Last thing I want to share this morning is simply this. I want every generation that's represented in the house today to hear this. And I'm sorry, I'm probably a couple minutes long, but I think this is important. I read a Gallup poll that talked about church attendance since 2019 to the beginning of 2023. And it did a a poll of three different generations. Boomers, millennials, which is me, and Gen Z. That was the three it took in. And within this poll, I I saw two very shocking stats. The first one was really good news. Since 2019, church attendance has gone up dramatically in one of those demographics. And surprisingly, it was millennials, my age group. And I looked at that and I was like, why is that? And I thought about it for a moment and it really hit me. Because when life got insane in 2020 and ever since, it was like a generation of people rose up and said, mom and daddy raised me right. And when things get crazy, I'm running home and I'm running back to church. I'm running back to truth. I'm running back to safety. I'm running back to shelter. But not only that, there was another statistic that was a sad statistic, and it was heartbreaking. Since 2019, there was one demographic where church attendance had declined the most, and it was among boomers. And the reason that they gave for that was because when COVID was happening, boomers were a little bit more hesitant to come to church, and I understand that, I get that. No judgment on that. Totally get it. The only problem is that number didn't go back up that much three or four years later. And with all of that said, I was looking further into statistics, and it gave a second reason why many boomers weren't coming back to church, and it was because I've already raised my kids. They're out of the house. It doesn't seem as necessary as it once did. I look around at the multi-generations that are represented in this house, and I'm like, no, Grandma and Grandpa, we need you. No, mom and dad, we need you. Your kids might be out of the house, but there's a lot of kids in this house. They need your wisdom. They need your experience. They need your input. And if we can get them to listen, you've got something to offer. Church was always intended to be a multi-generational church, but if we don't take our place in the multi-generations that make up the church, we're missing something that God intended to give us. Mom and dad, if you're watching at home, we're so glad that you joined us today. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But if you want to raise your kids to know God, set the example for them. If you want your kids to know the people of God and be in church, set the example for them. Can I say to everybody in our church, thank you, thank you for being in the house of God. We're better together than we are on our own. Thank you for taking your place. Thank you for making this body strong. Thank you. Amen. Would you bow your heads today? Father, I thank you so much for the people of our our church, of the Bridge Church. God, I pray that you would continue to remind us the significance of being connected with one another, that we are children of light. We shine light in darkness, that we are the bride of Christ, that we walk around showing everybody the love that you paid for us. And thirdly, we're the body of Christ. You intended us to be connected so that we can be more effective. Give us that revelation so that we will not abandon our commitment to you, in Jesus' name. Now you might be here this morning with heads bowed, eyes closed, and you say, I don't have a relationship with God, Zach. Here's what's beautiful. Psalm 68 says that God takes the solitary, the lonely, the isolated, and he puts them in families. This is a family. I want you to know there's room for you in this family because we're the family of God. God's always got more space for more kids. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, that's the only way we can come into relationship with God. Jesus lived a sinless, spotless, perfect life, the one that we could not live, but then went to the cross and paid a price that we deserved for our sin. And because of his death, his sacrifice was accepted so that we could be forgiven. But it didn't stop there because God raised him from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave for us so that we would not have to face it when this life is over. That's how much God loves you he wants to invite you into his family. I'm gonna pray a prayer right now and if you've never come into God's family by saying yes to Jesus, whether for the first time or the 10th time, I wanna welcome you and encourage you to join us in this prayer. We're gonna pray it together so everybody repeat right after me and say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe you're the son of God and I believe your death was full payment for my sin. So today I choose you. I will follow you and walk with you in this life into eternity. Thank you for all that you have done for me, amen. If you're here this morning you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or you rededicated your life to him, we wanna help you start your journey of faith. We have a simple book, a tool that we would love to put in your hand as soon as service is over. That'll just be in a couple of moments. But in this moment, this is really important. If you made a decision to follow Christ, we wanna help you. Right after service, come and see one of our prayer teams. They'll be down here near the platform. They're not gonna embarrass you or anything like that. They just wanna help you get started in your journey of faith. We have a little book called The Next Seven Days. We'd love to put in your hand to help you get started. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, you can stop by The Next Seven Days desk as well. It's right between the glass doors. Just let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. You want to get that book and they'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we can. Thank you so much for making that decision. God bless you. Can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family?
1: Can we we thank Pastor Zach for that awesome message this morning? Great message. Hey, this is the moment of service where we get to worship God with our giving, and you'll see a few options on the screen of different ways that you can give, and you'll never catch us putting anybody under any pressure or compulsion. This is a free will offering in whatever way makes sense for you. Thank you so much for being a generous church. As Pastor Zach was speaking this morning, uh, both in first and second service, as he was talking about the church, I kind of caught myself just feeling overwhelmingly grateful and thankful for our church. and. And as a next-gen pastor getting to work with multi-generations, it made me think of a day just a few months ago in what would have been kind of a normal work week for a next-gen pastor in that early morning, uh, Amber and I had a meeting with one of the parents of one of our bridge kids, and then for lunch, we went out to lunch with a precious couple in our church that is well into their 80s. And then that afternoon, we went to the baseball game of one of our sixth-graders. And it was like, it was like I, I got a little taste of everything, you know? It's like when you're at the barbecue and you're like, do I want mild salsa, medium, hot salsa, extra spicy? What am I feeling today? And it just made me so thankful for our church and the multi generations that are in our church. And, you know, Zach told his story of, of walking through the woods with the fly. I just pictured little Zachary Martin, like all insecure, walking through the woods, scared with this little flashlight. And it's so true that we can shine so much brighter collectively than we ever could flying solo. And so it is with our giving. We can accomplish so much more collectively than we ever could on our own. And I wish, I wish that like you guys could come and do a day in the life of any one of our pastors and get to see a glimpse of all the different ministries that your giving affects and, and is a part of from kids to youth to young adults to community care. It's all our Bridge Women Connect groups, all the connect groups across our church, and all the missions and the ministries that we're a part of that you're giving contributes to. Because I just feel like if we were to take a step back and just see the big picture of the way our giving It's just collectively influencing our city, our church, and the world. We would just be in awe. So thank you so much for being a generous church. If you brought a physical gift, there's uh, envelopes in the chair backs. Before you get to the foyer, there's a giving station on either side of those doors and one other one near the kids' check-in. Speaking of kids, Kids Camp is just two weeks away. So a couple things. Be praying for us. For one, last year we had 706 kids. We're believing for even more this year. Hey, if you are are wanting to sign up your kids, today is the last day to get on the pre-registration, which means you won't have to wait in line. Monday, the first day of Kids Camp. So get them registered. If you want to volunteer and help, just go to our website, sign up as a volunteer. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church today? We love you guys so, so, so much. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.